Good morning. We will be having uh, Lord's Supper after the sermon. And there is a table as you came in in the foyer that has uh, the Lord's Supper elements. It has the juice and the bread on one. If you are planning on partaking, uh, I would encourage you to, uh, <clears throat> you can either step out and, and go get one. Uh, you can wave and somebody will interpret that as you need one and they'll bring you one. Uh, just uh, let us know. I just wanted to make that known to you in case you were planning on partaking in the Lord's Supper today. We're in Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 1, and we'll be looking at verses 7 through 10. Ephesians chapter 1, we ended up looking at uh, verse 7 last week, and uh, this week we'll finish 8, 9, and 10. If you would, please stand with me for the reading of God's word. Ephesians chapter 1, this is the word of the Lord. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of time, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in heaven, and things on the earth in him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you that uh, we can come and worship you. Father, thank you for those who uh, have given their life uh, in the service of this country. And Father, we enjoy certain freedoms. Ultimately, it makes our mind think on Christ who has secured a freedom for us to uh, be in a relationship with you, Father. I pray now as we look at this text that our mind will think about that great sacrifice that Christ did and we will be praising and worshiping you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> we saw that uh, a part of God's mysterious will last week was that Jesus redeemed us. In redeeming us, he has uh, satisfied God's wrath. Jesus became a substitute for us, and he, he took on our sin. He received our sin. And in uh, those who believe in Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, they end up uh, getting Christ's righteousness. He, he redeemed us. Now, the pray, this should point us to praising God, uh, his provision for redemption. God was the offended party, and God provided according to his riches of his grace. Uh, it's according to his riches of his grace that he has provided this, uh, this choosing, this predestined to be adopted sons, this, um, this redemption, according to his grace. Now what we're going to be looking at today is that we need to Praise God because he desired to gather all things under Christ. We're to praise God because he desire, desired to gather all things under Christ. And we'll see different things in this text that point to this point that he is uh, providing, gathering all things under Christ's headship. 
The first thing that we see is that God graciously gives us wisdom and insight. God graciously gives us wisdom and insight. We see that in verse 8. We know from verse 7 that we have this redemption, and this redemption means a purchase, and it happened through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Verse 8 says, which. Now, this, uh, this points back to something. Uh, this relative program uh, points back to uh, the grace. It corresponds in gender and number to grace, his grace, uh, which he lavished on us. So this grace, God has lavished. That, that word lavished has this idea to, um, to, to give in abundance, to give more than enough. It, it has the idea that uh, if, if, for example, you went to one of those restaurants that they, they give you the bill after you've eaten, you know, most of us go to the restaurants where you pay when you order the food, but some go to these restaurants that they bring you the ticket after, you know, you've eaten, and, and they bring you the bill and it's $20, and you put $100 there, and you say, keep it. It's, it's more than enough to cover the ticket. This is the idea that he's saying that this grace is, he's given, he's lavished, he's caused to abound. It's more than enough. Now, now this should be a, a tremendous amount of comfort to the believer. God knew the total sum of all your sins. All of them. The total sum. And, and he has provided more than enough to cover all those sins. Now, if you got saved as a young child, you, maybe there wasn't a bunch of sins that you have done to that point, you understood your guilt and you understood your need for a Savior, but there, there wasn't like a, a ton of things. You probably hadn't robbed too many banks. You probably hadn't killed too many people yet. But as life goes on and on and on, and now you stand this many years past that time you accepted Christ as your Savior, and you say, you know, there's not really that much change that's happening in my life. I, I really thought that by this point in my life, I would almost be like kind of glowing like when Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration. But the truth is that I see more and more sin in my life. And when I think I've conquered one aspect, I see that it just exposes other areas of my life where I am, have this idolatry for self. And, and you start to wonder, could it be that the salvation that God provided is enough to cover all of these because it's a despairing thought to think of <laughs> that with all these years, I'm still not glowing like Jesus did on the Mount of Transfiguration. And what Paul reveals here is that God has given this grace, and this grace has been lavished. It has been given to, to cause to abound, to be more than enough, given with the purpose that there will be leftovers. He has done this. And he's done this, he lavished this grace, and he says in two areas, in all wisdom and in insight. Now, if you're reading from the New American Standard, you see that after the us, there's a period, and then you see the prepositional phrase, in all wisdom and insight, kind of starting a new sentence. And uh, it, it kind of gives this idea that maybe there was a punctuation mark there. 
Uh, originally in, in the Greek text, this is just one sentence starting in verse 13 going all the way to verse 14. So there is no punctuation. The, the translators have decided to put a punctuation mark there. And it kind of divides this thought, but the in wisdom and insight really modifies this which he has lavished upon us. Uh, you could take the fact that he has lavished upon uh, in his wisdom and his insight. This would put God as the subject as God using the sum total of his wisdom and the sum total of his insight to lavish this grace. I, I don't think contextually that's the point. Some people take it that way. But verse 9 will talk about how he has made known the mystery of his will. And it seems that we are the recipients of knowing the mystery of his will. Therefore, he is the one who is bestowing on us wisdom and insight. Now, this wisdom and insight, uh, I know it looks like it's starting a new sentence, but it's, it's just a continuation of, of the follow of, the, of the, what he has lavished upon us. Wisdom is the capacity to understand and to uh, function correctly. It's the capacity to understand and function accordingly. It's to understand the context in which you're in. It's important that as you have kids that they, they understand the context in which they're in. There is certain context to run around and play, to be loud. There's other context to be still. And for some reason, uh, uh, adults don't really always know exactly how to act in, in, in certain contexts. They, they, they mess this up too. Loud and boisterous at, at places where they should be quiet and so forth. But wisdom has this idea of understanding where you're at and acting appropriately for uh, what you're doing. Insight is a, is a different word. It has this idea of discernment. It's the, it's the faculty of thoughtful planning. It's the faculty of thoughtful planning. It's, it's the idea that you have an end goal in mind and you make plans to reach that goal. Now, what is the end goal? Uh, there's a lot of people that um, just this week somebody contacted me. They told me that they are a... Uh, a a strategic coach. And I said, what in the world is a strategic coach? And they told me that for $1,200, they would tell me what a, a strategic coach is. And I said, I don't think I need one, uh, but thank you. And, and he said, that he'll, he'll help me reach my goals. I'm like, I don't even know what my goals are. How are you going to help me reach my goals when I don't even know what my goals are? What, what should be our goals? What, what, is the, what are we having to plan towards? Well, uh, some might tell you that, that God, has, God has given you um, uh, something to do and, and you need to go reach for it. And, and, and each of you have this specific thing and, and kind of give this idea of each of you are going to go and pursue different avenues. Contextually, though, God is working in us, as it says, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be found holy and blameless before him. This is a work that he is doing. If this is the work that God is doing in my life to cause me to be holy and blameless, then the intent, the thoughtful planning of the end goal should also be this holiness and blameless, should it not be? It, it would seem quite absurd that God has a plan and purpose for my life and I have a different one. 
I know you want me to be holy and blameless, but I want to be X, Y, Z, whatever my coach tells me, right? It, here, this wisdom and insight is the ability to know how to act appropriately towards an end goal, which is this holiness and this blameless that God wants to have in our lives. Now, th this God has bestowed upon us. So it, it's one blessing on top of another blessing on top of another blessing. God has chosen us. He's predestinated us. He has redeemed us. And he has graciously given us wisdom and insight. Now, when we think about wisdom and insight, we say, how in the world does he give this wisdom and insight? Have you all seen the movie Pinocchio, you know, the, the Disney one? There's this uh, little cricket called Jiminy Cricket, and he would, uh, he would try as hard as he could to guide Pinocchio into where he's supposed to go. I mean, he, he tried several times to get him to school, and Pinocchio just never, ever did get to school. Off he'd go this way and that way. But there was, there was Jiminy Cricket, and he would try to tell Pinocchio what to do. Is this how God gives us this insight that he, he provides a, a magical uh, cricket to tell us what to do? Or uh, I don't know if you've seen the old uh, Tom and Jerry cartoons. Uh, uh, Tom would have a, a, a little angel up here, and the angel would kind of guide him to doing good things. And then he'd have the little devil uh, uh, up here, and the devil would tell him, no, don't listen to him. Go do this. You know, is, is this how this insight and wisdom occur in us that we kind of have this like uh, little things appearing? Maybe we don't have little things. Maybe maybe it's a, 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 a breeze. I, I stepped outside and all of a sudden I felt this breeze come, and I knew God wanted me to do this. That seems quite superstitious, you know. Uh, it was really hot, and so I realized that God did not want me working outside. You know, uh, how it's it's. It, how does he give us this wisdom and insight? Well, this wisdom and insight, uh, we're going to have to develop theologically because at this point, he's not going to go into uh, how we get wisdom and insight. He is giving a praise, and so because he is just here praising the Lord for this wisdom and insight, we're going to have to develop theologically because I just want to make this point uh, how we get this wisdom and insight. The first thing we see is that God... Uh, gave his spirit. God gave his spirit. We see that in John chapter 16, verse 13 and 15. Let's go to John chapter 15, I mean 16. John chapter 16. Uh, the context is John, uh, Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he's telling them about the fact that he has to go away. And, and as he's explaining that he has to go away, he tells them, he promises them that the Holy Spirit would come. Uh, previously, he told them that the Spirit would come and convict the world of sin. But then, <coughs> to them, he tells them in verse 13, But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all uh, the truth. That guide is, uh, is a future tense. It's something that he's going to assist in reaching a desired destination. He's going to assist you in reaching a desired destination. What is that desired destination? It's in all truth. For he will not speak of his own uh, initiative, but uh, whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me. The, the purpose of guiding will lead to a life that glorifies God. 
If you are listening to the Spirit as he guides in truth, you will have a life that glorifies Christ. And that's the purpose, right? God is working in you to make you more like Christ and less like yourselves. God has given the Spirit. Not only has God given us his Spirit, but God has given his Word. God, has, God gave his Word. And we see that in 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, 16 through 17. God gave his Word. Now, this word that he's given is to instruct us to make the person perfect, complete. But we're given the word so that we can be complete. Now let me give a, a warning. The warning is that knowledge of God's word does not equal wisdom and discernment. Don't, don't think that just because you read and digest tons and tons of scripture, that that is equal to having wisdom and discernment. It's not. Wisdom and discernment is a step past taking in the scriptures. It's past that. So how, how should you read the scriptures? Uh, how should you engage in the scriptures? If you're to have, if God is using his word to cause you to be perfect, and it's through this wisdom and discernment, how are you supposed to read it? There's three things you need to be doing each time you read the scriptures. Uh, you can uh, read the scriptures as just a normal book, just for enjoyment. But when you're studying God's word, you need to be doing these three things. The first is to observe the text. To, to observe. Now, the majority of us, uh, and I include myself, I, I, we're not grammarians. Uh, we, we don't have a clue about um, uh, how, to, how to write. But it doesn't matter if we know how to write correctly. We need to be able to identify subjects, verbs, tenses of a verb. Is this something past tense or is this something future tense? Wouldn't it be absurd to be uh, claiming as a promise a future tense that hasn't happened yet? I mean, that would just be ridiculous. And why? Because you wouldn't didn't observe the text. If you're looking at a narrative, what's the plot line? Who, who are the protagonists? Who's the antagonist? What's the conflict? How does it get resolved? These are just observations of the text. Are you, are you dealing with a, a song? Well, a song is, is, is totally different than how you would read a narrative. It would be different how you read an epistle. Noticing all these different aspects of a text is so important. You observe. A, a big observation that you have to deal with is, is what I'm reading happened before or after the cross. Is it before or after the crucifixion? It makes a big difference if you're reading stuff that happened previous to the crucifixion and then trying to apply it into your life. God's word says I need to go get this bowl and, and sacrifice it. Uh, no, you're, you're not supposed to do that. Christ satisfied that. Oh, God's word says so. i got to obey. You have to observe, observe these things. The next step that you do is you interpret the text. Now, you first observe, look at the genre, look at all those things, but then you interpret. And the point of interpreting the text is you want to gain what the author intended to write. You don't ask, how does this make me feel? <laughs> it doesn't matter how it makes you feel. It, you don't ask, uh, um, what does this make other people think of? It doesn't matter what it makes other people think of. You want to know, what did the author intend to communicate? That's what you're looking at as you're reading this. 
And as you see the observations and you have all the information, then you make an interpretation of the text. Then you do the application. Now there's two, two ways that people tend to go in this application thing. The first thing is that sometimes people just want to jump straight to application. They open their Bible and they want to apply it. They, they want to see themselves there like a, like a yearbook, right? You know, where am I? How, how does this help me? And, and they, they don't see it. They, they read through Leviticus and they see all the laws and stuff and they're like, this has nothing to do with me. I'm, I'm dealing with all these problems and this just doesn't do anything for me. You don't jump right into application. The other tendency that people have is to go to the other extreme, to do an observation of the text, to do an interpretation of the text, and then just stop there. You just have a bunch of facts, just a bunch of information, and that's it. No transformation of life, just story upon story upon story, doctrine upon doctrine upon doctrine. And there you have it. And, and people do this. They, they go from one extreme to the other. They just either want to just apply it, first thing, or they want to just read the, uh, uh, make the observation and then do the interpretation. If you interpret, if you observe the text, interpret the text, and then you apply the text, you're looking to see what does this text reveal about God's character that I can put into practice in my life? What, is it, what does it reveal about God? What, what does it reveal about God's character when it says all these numbers of, of people in each tribe in, in the book of Numbers? What, what, what does it reveal about his character? Well, what does it mean that when it goes through all these different laws about how to sow seed and how to do this and how to do that in Leviticus, what does it reveal about him that I can apply. These are ancient texts, but these ancient texts have to be applied to our situation now. Now, let me tell you, if you don't take this step, it's as absurd as, as if a woman was pregnant but never gave birth. Can you imagine how absurd that would be? Five years, I'm still pregnant. Like, uh, I think the purpose of that is for the baby to come out, right? I, I think that's supposed to happen at some point. No, baby's just going to stay in there. It would be absurd. Would, would it not? A person who doesn't want to apply the text is just leaving it like that. Its purpose is to come out and live, to transform your life. But if all you're doing is doing observations and interpretation and you're never applying it, it, it's not having its purpose because as we saw, God's word's purpose is to make you perfect. Now the last thing that God has given us is God gave the church. God gave the church. Colossians chapter 3, 12 through 17. Colossians chapter 3, 12 through 17. Paul's addressing this church and he's telling them, it's fascinating to see uh, how he addresses how one another is supposed to be acting. How one another is supposed to be forgiving one another. How one another is supposed to be uh, exhorting one another. How one another is supposed to be modeling Christ's behavior, doing everything in the name of Jesus. It's fascinating to see how he is, he sees a vision of a church that is gathered and is interacting one with another. For the, 
purpose of sanctification. We're asking the question, how, does we, how do we get this insight? How do we get this wisdom? He does it through the Spirit. He does it through uh, the Word. And he does it through the church. You come to church. And I'm interacting. I'm doing some stuff. And, and, uh, and Dave Posey says, you know, Daniel, I, I saw how you were going and grabbing the water bottle. And you thought you were just the, the most important thing in the whole room. And you just you, you knocked over three people. And then you stepped on five other. And, and just to grab a water bottle. You, you shouldn't act like that. I thought, oh, you know what, Dave, you're right. I, I've blinded myself to my selfishness. I need to change that. And, and, then, and then somebody else says, hey, Daniel, I saw you were doing this. Ah, you're right. I've, I've also blinded myself to that. The, the church has that involvement with one another. It would be quite prideful and arrogant to be like, you can't tell me anything. I'm always living perfectly. That's absurd. We're, we're fallen creatures and we're always sinning. Now, as we look at this, that God graciously gives us wisdom and insight, uh, we see that he does this through his, uh, through his spirit, through the word, and through the church. What should we do with this information? Well, contextually, it's in a praise, and so we should praise God. On top of being chosen and being predestined, on top of being redeemed, he has also given wisdom and insight. We should praise God for that. It, it should be a, uh, something that we glorify God. The, the other thing is we, we should use it. There, there are some people that they've been years in the faith, but they haven't been practicing wisdom and insight. In fact, they have no discernment on how to act appropriately. You can tell by which they watch on Netflix and which they watch on, on Hulu and which they watch on, on anything else that you can tell they have no discernment as to this purpose that God is working holiness and blameless. I'm not talking about legalism here. I'm talking about God is working a purpose in your life. And that purpose has this end to make you holy and blameless. And you're feeding yourself stuff that you shouldn't. There are many Christians who just live day after day not exercising wisdom and insight. They don't. And they're really no different than the day they were saved. They might have more stories. I mean, they might be able to tell you about Jonah. They might get it right. They might be able to tell you it's a satire, but that's it. We should be using wisdom and insight. And if we consider the, the text of Colossians, Paul envisions the church exhorting one another, as in members being able to help one another grow. If your brother came to you and said, hey, I, I'm going through this problem, can you help me? You need to go talk to the deacon. You need to go talk to the elder. I, I can't help you with that. I'm sorry. Why? He's given us this to be used. Now, the next thing we see is that God reveals his will to us. God reveals his will to us. Uh, this we see in verse 9. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention which he purposed in him. He, he has made this known. Um, 
this is, is, is really fascinating because in verse 9, the, the making known is to cause someone to know something. He has caused someone to know something. It's, it's this idea of revealing something to somebody. And if we see who he's causing to know something, it's uh, to us. To us. Now, this is incredible to think about. Uh, how many of y'all have pets? Oh, see, I caught a couple of you guys sleeping because you're like, what? Did he just ask a question? How many of y'all have pets? All right, we got a good number. Now, uh, the, the pets that you have, how many of you have learned their language? And, and you speak to them in whatever Michael has, has done. It. He's, he's learned their language. You learned their language or you caused them to learn the, your language? Oh, the body language. Got it. So here you have this, uh, the, this thing. We, uh, not we, I'm, I'm not going to put myself in that. People have pets. And do they reduce themselves down to the level of speaking the animal's language? Well, of course not. They, what, what will they tell them? They'll say, come, go. Mostly go, right? No, uh, just kidding. <laughs> uh, you know, come. We, we speak to them on, 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 on our human ability. We don't reduce ourselves down to speaking fish. You know, we, we don't do that. Why? Why? Because we don't care to really communicate. We'll communicate if it's easy, and if the dog doesn't listen, then we get rid of the thing, you know? It wasn't the will of the Lord. But, but we don't reduce ourselves. But what did God do? God made known to us. God, who, who created all things, revealed to us, made known to us. Uh, he had to come way down for that to happen. I, I don't care what your IQ is. He had to go way, he had to stoop way down to have this happen. Praise the Lord. He, he has made known to us. What did he make known? The mystery. Now, what is this mystery? A mystery is an unmanifested or private counsel of God. It's something secret. It has to do with God's plans. It's a word that gets used um, uh, sometimes in Scripture um, over 20 times. And we see it, for example, in Romans chapter 11, verse 12, uh, 25, Romans 11, 25, where Paul uh, tells him about the mystery of uh, God hardening Israel's heart uh, for the time of the Gentiles. Uh, Romans uh, 16.25, Paul tells them that this present gospel message was a mystery. They, they didn't know this back then. There, there's a group of theologians that say that uh, uh, Christ was preached in the Old Testament, like believe on Jesus Christ and you'll be saved type of deal. But it says, Paul says, that was a mystery. It wasn't known. It wasn't known back then. What about 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1? There's this mystery that Paul is writing to them. He tells them the mystery. He's a steward of this mystery, which is the gospel. It's something that was not known and now is revealed. And this mystery, he says, he has made known the mystery of his will, his desire. And he's done this according to his kind intention, to his benevolence, to his 
goodwill. And this goodwill which he purposed in him. Uh, he has purposed it. He has set it forth as a plan, as an intention to, to do this. And it's in Christ. Now, as we look at this, he has shown a mystery, something that was mysterious, something that was not known in the past, he has now revealed to us. And it's that he's chosen us, he's adopted us, he has he is, uh, uh, predestined us, he's redeemed us. All these things that he has been telling us, these are things that happen. What should we do as we know this mystery? Well, we should praise the Lord. And we should share those, that news with other people. We see also in verse 10 now that God providentially works towards a future administration. God providentially works towards a future administration. It says there in verse 10, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of time. Now that word administration uh, is an interesting word. It, it, it can be also translated as a dispensation which has this idea of a responsibility, a management, uh, a direction, or, or an office. Uh, you think about this as, uh, for example, in Luke chapter 16, verse 2, where there was the unfaithful servant, the unfaithful steward. Uh, he, the unfaithful steward had an administration over the things, the belongings of his master. The master had revealed what he desired. And the steward was unfaithful. He did not do with the resources of the master what he wanted to do. It's used um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 17. God spoke, uh, Paul spoke of the gospel and said that it was a stewardship. He, was, he had stewardship of the gospel. That this was something that was revealed and therefore he is supposed to be administrating this. 1 Timothy 1.4, Paul encouraged Timothy not to pay attention to myths because they'll distract him, distract him from the stewardship of the gospel. And it says that this stewardship, this administration, uh, is suitable to the fullness of time. The fullness of time. It, it points to a time in the future. It, it points to a time when everything will come together and uh, it, where he is summing up as it says, is summing up all things that are in Christ. Now this word summing up is only used in one other place. It's in Romans 13.9. And in Romans 13.9, he's talking about the law, and he says that all the laws can be reduced down to or can be summed up to love your neighbor as yourself. So if you look at Romans 13.9, Paul reduced all the law down to loving your neighbor as yourself. And here the summing up of all things in Christ, everything then comes under this heading, Christ, all things. And in case we don't understand what all things, uh, he says things in the heaven and things on the earth. In him, there's no uh, period there. In him, all these things are in him. They're summed up, they're put in Christ. Now, when you have a head, or you have someone who has authority over everything, and then you have under that things in heaven, things in earth, uh, we would call that, or we would identify that as, as a kingdom, right? That's, that's what you have. If you have somebody with absolute authority, 
uh, and then you have people and things underneath that are subject to that, that, that would be a, a kingdom. It doesn't say the word kingdom here, but uh, that's what it's referencing. So what kingdom is this talking about? Well, there's two different kingdoms that we could be seeing. There is a salvific kingdom, which is found in Colossians 1, 13 and 14. And where we're saved from the dominion of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of his beloved son through the redemption and the forgiveness of sins. But I think that this kingdom really points to the Davidic kingdom, which will get fulfilled in the millennium kingdom. Yeah, there's a bunch of passages we could look at. 2 Samuel 7, 8 through 17. Daniel 2, 34, 35, 45, uh, 44 and 45. Isaiah 11. They, they point to a certain type of kingdom that will have absolute authority. Revelation chapter 20, 1 through 3 says when that will be fulfilled. This is a kingdom where Christ will sit on David's throne and will reign. And what Paul is saying here is that God is working sovereignly, providentially, to bring all things in heaven and on earth in Christ. He's doing this. He's working this plan out. And it'll get fulfilled. Now you say, well, what, what, is, what in the world could be uh, the mystery about that? Well, the mystery is that the person is identified and that God is working this all out through Christ, specifically through Christ. He is working this all out. Now, as we see this, he is working this plan out and he is controlling all aspects. Now, we might be able to debate, because some of you probably might not felt so comfortable as seeing that this is something still future that God is working towards. And maybe you would see this and you say, oh, I don't know about that. And we could, we could debate a little bit on it. At the end of the day, I would be right, you would be wrong. Just kidding, just kidding. But ultimately, it's pointing to where Christ is sovereign and we are subject to him. So at the very least, you would have to agree with me that there is a lordship aspect being presented here that God is working towards. And what I would wonder is, are we living in light of this truth now? Or are we Lord of our life? Is God, is Christ sovereign? Are we in Christ or are we saying, Christ, be in me. You follow me where I want to go. Do we subject ourselves to his will and act according to his desire? Or do we act according to our own? See, uh, we need to praise God because he wills to gather all things. He desires to gather all things under Christ. We should praise God because he has desired to gather all things. Now, there might be some here that this wouldn't, really wouldn't be your testimony. You've never trusted Christ as your Savior. And in a minute, we're going to go into the Lord's Supper time, and I would, I would hope that as you reflect on that, you really couldn't take the Lord's Supper because you've never taken in Christ. You've never accepted him as your Savior. And, and if that is you, I would encourage you today to put your faith in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Look at what he has done, what God has done. He's chosen 
He predestinated you. He, he's redeemed you. Make you holy and blameless. Giving you wisdom and insight to put you in Christ. That, those are incredible blessings. And they can be yours if you put your faith in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. As we conclude the sermon part, I would also want to just address Christians. Praise the Lord that he has given above and beyond what was needed to save us. That he gave over in abundance. He lavished upon us his grace. Praise the Lord for that. But shall we continue in sin that grace might abound? May it never be. But how should we live? We should live in wisdom and with insight, with discernment towards a plan and a purpose of being holy and blameless. This isn't about being legalistic. It's about saying, does this activity, does this literature, does this what I'm doing lead me to being holy and blameless, or does it not? It has nothing to do with, with rules and regulations. It has to do with how do I live wisely in this world for the end purpose that God has for me? And making those decisions, making those plans, living according to that. We're about to go into the Lord's Supper, but I would just want to pause just for a moment, and I encourage you to bow your heads as, as we pray. Father, thank you for your word. Father, I pray that you would convict the heart of those who maybe are here but aren't saved. That today that they'll maybe come up after the service and, 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 and put their faith in Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Father, even now as they're sitting there listening to me, that they'll put their faith in Jesus, that they'll believe in Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Father, I pray for those of us who are saved. And we haven't been living with wisdom. And definitely we have not been living with a with discernment towards an end goal of being holy and blameless. I pray that you would forgive us. Father, I pray that you would strengthen us and, and, and allow us to be putting that into practice. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.